0: Welcome to DF Dubs. My name is Nick. I'm your host. We are joined by our guest speakers, Patrick Hohenschild and Andrea Mueller today. Our topic, media and streaming, the new and catastrophic pacifier. Stay tuned. We're going to have some pretty sweet debate. So uh, this is Andrea Mueller. She's a cool cat. She's wearing a pink shirt and blue jeans, a little faded, washed out. What's your drink tonight, Andrea.
1: Um, I'm drinking a stone delicious IPA it's it's known for being reduced in gluten volume oh. uh, so yeah I would totally recommend it it's from the west coast and i I've never never gone wrong drinking this so okay
0: nice what percentage you got there
1: we got a 7.7 so that's pretty pretty solid it's pretty hefty
0: only 12 fluid ounces so she shouldn't be too tipsy by the end of our podcast yeah, tonight
1: yeah so let's try to yeah, that's important yeah, for very various important.
0: reasons. Absolutely. want to make sure your credibility is up to snuff. Patrick Hohenschild, welcome, sir. Also wearing a pink sweater, ALTY, A-L-T-Y. Not sure what it stands for, but what is your drink tonight, sir?
2: I'm sure it actually says salty on it, so I'm a little salty. That you just miss
0: the S. He's salty about it. It's pretty ironic. But what what are you drinking, sir? A
2: little bit. So I just drank some Mountain Dew Mystery Flavor. <laughs> I don't drink alcohol, um, so I'm having this Mountain Dew mystery flavor, and it kind of tastes like, you know, there's like fruit roll-ups that you would have. There are ones that roll up, oh my God. you know, they roll up like that tape, right? <laughs> the yeah. bubblegum tape? Tattoos. Yeah, the tattoo one. So it tastes like the, the tattoo one that's blue. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, so this that's the mystery flavor, guys, <laughs> whatever that's called. <laughs> that's yeah. what I'm drinking. <laughs>
0: I think I haven't had that since like grade school, but they are delicious. They're pretty fantastic. Uh, I myself am drinking a Sour Monkey, Sour Triple, 9.5 uh, percent for the alcohol. Did you hear that little like weird thing come out of my throat? <laughs> that was pretty awesome. It's important to also say the ounces. Yes,
1: that's, that's
0: it sticky. is a it's a big can. It's a big boy. 19.2 fluid ounces. So um, I'm gonna be feeling it by the end of this this bad boy. Uh, it's all about that ratio. It's about the ratio. It really is. I'll be I'll be nursing it. So, don't worry, ladies and gents. I know we have such a massive audience listening. So, it's going to be fine. We're going to do great. Anyway, our topic tonight for which we did absolutely zero research to prepare.
1: Anecdotal evidence is all we have. Yes,
0: anecdotal evidence is really it's it's on point. It's media and streaming. The new and catastrophic pacifier. What do we mean by pacifier? Andrea Mueller, who's studying psychology at the St. Joseph's University, is going to talk a little bit about the effect of pacifiers on young infants and how media and streaming has become a replacement uh, pacifier for both infants and adults.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, I didn't realize I was going to be starting us off here, but... Like I said, I will be going strictly off of anecdotal evidence because as we know, that's what everybody listens to, even though people put a lot of work into statistical findings. Um, they only take into account your anecdotal evidence. So.
0: That's really true, actually.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of sad. Uh, people put a lot of hard work into research findings. Um, thank you. Uh, you <laughs>
0: Nobody knows what you thanked me for. I put the mic closer to her face, and she immediately put it further
1: away. (laughs) So my anecdotal evidence for children, uh, I did some babysitting about a year ago, and there was a three-year-old, and she really loved her binky. That was what she loved, but I didn't even realize that until three weeks in because they were trying to wean her off of this thing. But every time she had a tantrum and the parents were in the room, suddenly it was all about the binky. She was like, where's my binky? I'm not going to start crying until I have this binky. Um, So I don't really know what a binky is, but I'm pretty sure it's equivalent to a pacifier. (laughs) Do you have any comments on that, Nick?
0: Um, That sounds correct.
2: Where's the statistics? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Patrick, no one cares about statistics. We just Please. want anecdotal evidence. <laughs> Tell me a story. Have you and, used and, a yeah. binky before, <laughs> Andrea? Personal experience go.
0: Just t- just entertain me and I'll believe what you
1: say. <laughs> okay, well, I'm I'm going to I'm going to get us off this tangent and get us back to mm-hmm. this situation because this binky was a source of comfort for her. It really doesn't make sense to us, but she loved this thing and that was what she focused on most when she was in times of distress suffering all the pain in the world really because when you're a child everything is so much more emotional than you could ever imagine because this is the end of the world this is your present moment so now i'm going to pass it off to nick to start us off with how We too have lots of pacifiers in our lives as adults because we deal with these same emotions Hmm. and we don't know how to go forward with them because a lot of times we don't realize what the best coping mechanisms are. Um, So we search for pacifiers.
0: Hmm. Well said, Andrea. You know, I think as kids, we have that pacifier. We just pop it right in the mouth. We're crying and then... We're pacified. We are completely occupied with whatever it is that's now, you know, just kind of making us feel satisfied. Everything else seems to just kind of go away. We're distracted. As adults, I kind of feel as though we have a replacement pacifier instead of just popping some rubber in my mouth. That sounded weird. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, we're keeping it in. That's gold. We're keeping that bad boy in there um that's right (laughs) instead of popping some rubber in my mouth i'm going to take my smartphone out or i'm going to watch some netflix or i'm going to go on social media and tiktok and instagram and i'm going to look for those dopamine hits where you ever see how like when you're going on public transportation or even in a classroom like one student takes their phone out it's contagious other people start to take their phone out. Or even just in social settings, like you look around at a restaurant, people are, you see families with their phones out at the dinner table. Because when there's an unpleasant experience and we're, we're exposed to the slightest amount of discomfort, the slightest amount of awkwardness, what's our pacifier? What do we turn to? We turn to our phones. We go to the internet, media, and streaming. And we're able to scroll through these customized personalized feeds that give us these tiny little dopamine bursts that we convince ourselves are enough to satisfy our hearts when really it's just enough to distract us to get through this moment of discomfort and uh are you raising your hand (laughs) yeah i have a question you you don't have to raise your hand we're just we're just chilling but what's up
1: so i have a question for the class Um. so someone told me recently that virtue grows in desolation and that's something that I'm unsure about so I don't know if that's really true so that's question number one but question number two is could pacifiers sometimes be useful to us in these moments of desolation to keep our eyes focused on virtue
0: you know I think that's an excellent question. It depends on what you mean by the word desolation. Because if you mean desolation in the sense of like emotional desolation, uh, where we're experiencing a low in life and we're forced to turn to some sort of higher power, I think that could be a real opportunity for virtue. If you're talking about like spiritual desolation, where you're experiencing a dryness in prayer or you're not feeling the consolations of God, um, You know, I think that could actually be an opportunity for temptation to turn to media as a distraction from God when really we should still lean into him in prayer even if we can't feel him. So it will be tempting to kind of, I don't know. I think it really depends on what you mean by the word desolation because there's different definitions for that. So that's my response to that. Um, My man Patrick has been patiently and quietly waiting over here He's got some some knowledge to drop on us some wisdom to offer Patrick. I'm curious um, you you might be able to offer us some insight into the idea of how adults use media to distract themselves and the negative psychological impact that that can have and maybe a population that doesn't have access to media. Um, I know you work with the homeless with psychology maybe they don't have access to like streaming and media the way that the average individual might. Do you notice any differences in them uh, in regards to like they don't have that opportunity for distraction in that sense? Like what what does that look like differently psychologically for them than like somebody you might see who is absorbed in Netflix and Instagram and TikTok?
2: Yeah. So what we're looking at with the question at hand is people that are trying to cope with reality, So we talk about the uncomfortable experiences where say you're with people in community, you end up feeling the pains of reality together. And what happens? Usually someone will say something, Hey, are you okay? Right? So it's ironic, right? On one hand, we can turn to media and say, Hey, everybody, look at this. Look at what's happening right now. Right? And then you shine a light on the uncomfortable. So a lot of the work I do has to do with things like stigma. Can you really handle and confront your wounds being exposed in a radical way? That uncomfortability that, hey, there's something that's very unhealthy that's going on, and how can we change this? How can we shift that? I think there's something to be said about wanting to regulate yourself so that you're not feeling uncomfortable all the time. We can't just operate that way all the time. like. You know, some people are single mothers and they have to work multiple jobs and then they have to do all the household things. They don't have time to make social ties. They can't take care of themselves. Forget about a mental health day. I mean, this ends up affecting a lot of people. Right. So the topic is essentially is coping skill. Right. Do you necessarily have to just do media? No, not necessarily. Some people might be coping with, um, things through using drugs, or they could be doing it through sex. All these kinds of tactics that we're using to kind of escape this uncomfortable reality. Do we look at what is healthy and unhealthy? Well, first off, we're going to look at ourselves as healthy or unhealthy. Usually pain, pain is something that our body alerts us to when something's going wrong. And if you look at it, The same parts of your brain that are associated with abandonment, right, are also associated with pain. So when people feel abandoned, they don't have, you know, social connections to expose their wounds to when they're alone or when they're going through difficulties. Hey, look at this, right? Look at this problem that's going on for people that naturally are vigilant. Hey, I know something's wrong, right? They're alone and they're literally left to their own devices, Right. So how do we make that pain go away? I mean, yeah, it's being able to what psychologists would call is co-regulate. Right. Have other people that they can share this with so that they don't feel alone. And I think that's that's the trickiest thing is right. Like if you don't know necessarily how to do that, it's very difficult. Empathy is required. Empathy is like the natural pacifier, right? Baby starts crying. Mom comes to the rescue. Baby feels much better and is comforted. And then baby can go on and do its thing, right? So when it doesn't have that, you see people, they, they zone out, they tune out. They're not experiencing reality for what it is, right?
0: I think that's a really good point. And I think both of you guys are kind of hitting on some a similar theme, which is you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but when human beings are dissatisfied with their experience of reality, they're experiencing discomfort. They seek an escape in some way. And we kind of turn, we have a tendency to turn to these unhealthy coping mechanisms, whether it be media, streaming, sex, drugs, whatever it is. Patrick, could you offer maybe as a therapist and especially working with a, you know, clientele who are experiencing homelessness, Could you offer us um, some positive coping mechanisms that we could use as opposed to these unhealthy ones?
2: Yeah, I would say that uh, starting one, one step at a time, what is the next best thing that I can do, right? Always asking that. So this exists when you're going through it, right? Like your nervous system is engaged. You're feeling raw, vulnerable, authentic. This is something that, is is can be done at any stage so say you are comfortable and you're regulated this is where I think the crux of this podcast really exists is you have already been regulated now nothing new is happening right so then you have to ask yourself and I'm one of them as well and I, th- I want everyone that's listening to this to understand this like what is the next best thing that you can do and this is also reactive versus proactive now that i am regulated what do i get to do because i also have to ask myself if i'm not regulated what can i do you have to ask yourself that to that extent not in a negative format that hey i can't do anything this is all i can do it's hey i know right now i need to go talk to a friend i need someone to help me through this right hey Would you be able to, you know, take my dogs out? You know, I need some time with the kids, you know, talking to family members, uh, you know, reaching out to their social connections to take care of yourself. Right. That's that's part of that self-care. Right. So being able to do that in the right way, whereas the wrong way would be ways that don't necessarily fix it. Like a baby, you can give a baby a pacifier, but if you don't give it that love and attention, that pacifier is going to do damage and it's going to end up really affecting a social being, not a pacifier object being. The whole thing, it mimics, it mimics, you know, the natural rooting response of a baby that's trying to get food and nourishment, which is also associated with the physical touch and the intimacy, which releases oxytocin, right? So you see how this can easily be manipulated and affected.
0: I think that's super critical and crucial to, to point out. Like the best healthy coping mechanism is human contact, human relationship. It's being social. And what we're doing as a society is actually isolating and turning to these artificial means of connection through social media and where we're watching these phantom images on a screen and it's giving this illusion of social connection when really we're still alone. But the best remedy to this dissatisfaction with reality is just to connect with a human being. And to be honest, I really felt God tugging on my heart in prayer recently to do that more and to appreciate the human encounters that I have. Like, like just the incredible majesty of encountering another human person with free will and an intellect is incredible. Like, I think that's most highlighted in, like, zombie apocalypse movies or just apocalypse movies in general when – no, I'm serious. When a person is, like – they think they're the only person left in the world and they're journeying around, they're trekking around for months and maybe even years and they, they think they're totally alone and then they see another person. And that's, like, the crux of, like, the, the whole plot. And they're so grateful because they, they've taken for granted for so long how amazing it is to encounter somebody else in real life and the, the extraordinary gift of human relationship. However, I have to say, what if people aren't around for us to connect with and we're feeling that low? Are there other coping mechanisms that we could use that are healthy and positive uh, in the absence of, you know, an opportunity for human connection? Andrew, do you have any ideas for us?
1: Yeah, this is definitely what I was <coughs> thinking about as you were talking i know there's a lot of people out there who are hungry for social connection and often in our deepest moments of desolation it's because like patrick was touching on we're crying out for people's affection and intimacy and empathy and relatedness and i primarily investigate the emotion of awe or wonder which is Psychology defines it as an an emotion of vastness, perceiving the vastness of the world and our place and our connectedness to it. And this emotion has been shown to increase mental well being correlationally as well as experimentally. So that means there's a cause and effect of when you're exposed to awe more often, you're going to have higher mental well being. And you might be wondering, what is awe? and awe like i said is experiences of vastness that can be in various different domains so that can be listening to music art um watching a movie sometimes in um, (laughs) in some forms um but also (laughs) spiritual experiences religious experiences and it really gets at the idea that you um people talk about this experience of being alone in a crowded room, and I think a lot of people experience this, and I think that social media is really a metaphor for this experience of being alone in a crowded room on a meta scale. (laughs) You got that. (laughs) Um, But what awe and um, these experiences of connecting to, like, our greater purpose in life offers us, is um, a realization that we do have purpose and that has to do with um, our place not only in relation to other people but also in um, God's plan for our lives and for the universe at large
2: yeah so going off that um I think awe and wonder is so huge like do we have awe and wonder of the people around us or are we treating you know the people around us like they're used socks that you know just get tossed over um this is actually something i was talking with uh nick so nick and i are roommates um at ccya and um we were talking about this right like you know i'm really grateful for having nick in my life and you know i I make sure to let him know and One of the things that really caused me to have wonder was, you know, he talks about me having homeless clients. Right. But we were driving in a car once and Nick was just like, he's just being himself. Right. He rolls down the window (laughs) and he's like, like this homeless person, you know, who's asking for, for money. Right. Like, you know, that's typically what they do. Like genuine encounter with Nick and From then I was like, I'm just convinced I'm like, he's got a charism for the homeless. Like that was a real encounter, you know. I I deal with people for a living. So, you know, to see that was was incredible. Um, and speaking of awe and wonder, so I just went to uh Tony Robbins Unleash a power within and completely awe-inspiring. And through it, (laughs) I end up I end up like calling Nick, or I think I texted him like, Nick, you need to do real estate, like, (laughs) like, you need to do this. (laughs) So because like, think of it, like we have these unique gifts and talents that like are written on us, they're written on our hearts. And like, you know, we're comfortable with what we do have, right? But then it's like, what I was saying earlier is like, you know, taking that next step, right? What is the next best thing I can do? Like I am regulated. I do have a place to live. I am okay, my immediate needs are taken care of, right? So what extent are my immediate needs becoming a pacifier, right? Versus like taking that to that next step, right? And then being able to see like, hey, like I'm uncomfortable, but what is the healthy way that I can go and regulate myself as I do this? And when you look at virtue, the life of virtue, you have uh, the virtue of magnanimity, which magnan, right? Which would be large and then anonymity. I apologize. <laughs> that means soul, right? To be a large soul. So to do some, to do something great would be to expand yourself, right, for the sake of others, right? To go outside of the safety of where the crowd is, right? So we talk about social influence. Everybody around us, they have what their rituals, their norms, what they're used to, and then they have things that deviate from it, right? Are you willing to deviate from the masses, which is intrinsically good, right? You need to co-regulate. You can do that in a healthy way. Are we able to deviate to some degree from that in light of it, right? It's like a platform of privilege that we can take that. We could take... Hey, I'm comfortable now. Now, what can I do right to take that to the next level, to be able to do something even greater, right, to get out of the fray and to be uncomfortable? Right. And then the question is, why would anyone do that?
0: Yeah, that's that's perfect. I feel like if I'm being honest, most people probably know deep down that if they want to grow, they have to embrace discomfort. They probably know that and yet we still choose the pacifier we still choose the phones and the social media and the Netflix and the Instagram and the TikTok. and I'm wondering what is it that keeps us coming back to these things that we know are not ultimately going to be good for our our overall growth as persons and I'm wondering are there concrete tips that we can use to conquer those momentary battles where we feel tempted to take that phone out or to you know take the computer out or maybe we're at work and we're on you know the instagram or or scrolling through the google feed or whatever it is like what are some concrete things that we can do to really defeat these these giants in our lives that are distracting us from becoming the best versions of ourselves. Do either of you guys have any ideas? Sure, Patrick.
2: So I think one of the things that can help with this is training the nervous system. Easier said than done. So let me explain what I mean by training the nervous system. Hey, keep it an anecdotal. Do okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Take a cold shower. Right. Oh. Right. So I like to do this towards the end of my showers. I haven't done it. My last two showers. I will be honest, right? <laughs> Sometimes it's hard for people to be honest.
0: Oh, you're saying the cold, the hot, most of the time, and then the cold
2: shock at the end, cold shock, right at the uh, end. Right? I've done that. Exactly. Exactly. Helpful, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, starting fix your bed at the beginning of the day, like, oh. you know, get this, get this stuff started. That. So then, so then the next stages of what you do, It's already programmed, right? It's already started. So a lot of things can depend on the rituals that we have. So I think starting in baby steps can help, right? But, you know, if you want to make yourself very uncomfortable, I think it requires, you know, being challenged, right? Sometimes that's being around people that are going to challenge you, right? Hey, can I surround myself by people that will challenge, you know, Am I putting out subconscious cues to other people that are saying, don't challenge me, right? I don't want more, right? Hey, and really being able to sit with that awareness, right? Okay, well, I'm having a radical audit. How much of my life is surrounded by people that are challenging me and how much of my life am I surrounding myself with people that are not challenging me? And what can I do about that, right? So you are responsible for the decisions that you make in your own life. Right, So, yeah, I mean, I think with anything, right, so say you feel uncomfortable, a good coping skill can be mindfulness. Be aware of that. Be aware of the reactions that come to mind when you're getting challenged of how you're living the life or you're seeing it, you're looking at it for what it is. You know, we could say it as a scientist objectively, but it's really hard to do when you're doing that yourself. You know, sometimes you could see it on the outside world, right? Someone will give you feedback of, hey, this is ridiculous and, you know, you don't even know the person, but your society or your tribe has had a blind spot where neither of you was challenging each other. Right. I know this from one of my one of my closest friends. He lost like one hundred and ten pounds in like a year. It was like a radical change. Like you could hear the the vitality in his voice, right? Like and like growing up, like all his family members, you know, they have extra weight on them. So he was grown in this culture where like this is okay and no one's gonna challenge each other on this, right? And it wasn't until he started challenging himself that, you know, he woke up to it and then he he would look around and You know he's like kind of upset he's like why are you guys doing this right so his he's now speaking out of terms of the tribe like why you you know hello like dude health hello it's like uh you know the the what is that the allegory of the cave where um you know if anyone knows the allegory of the cave it's kind of a similar situation explain reality to someone that doesn't understand it like explain your perception of say health to someone that doesn't have that it's very difficult because person doesn't have a reference experience in their brain so you know you could say hey use your imagination (laughs) right or you can use your personal anecdote look what i've done look at the changes that i made in my life and hey you know what maybe you might get something from It It might inspire you to do something better. I could tell you from this side of it, it does get better.
0: Yeah. I think it's so important to surround ourselves with people who are going to challenge us. That's a really good point, Patrick, because the people that we hang out with have such an impact on us for better or worse. And it's really, we really don't have much control over that. Like. Peer pressure is such a real force in our lives, and I tell that to my students. I'm a teacher. I teach uh, high school theology, and we get to talk about some deep topics. I teach you know, inner-city students in West Philly, but the point is a lot of my students surround themselves with individuals who are not a good influence, and I see how negatively it impacts their behavior and their habits of behavior, and once we develop bad habits, it's hard to break them. And it's even harder to break them if we have individuals in our our social groups, our inner groups, right, inner circles that are telling us to do the wrong things, you know, and, and with high schoolers, it's especially bad because they're seeing those people every day over and over. It's a repetitive cycle. But I think as young adults and older adults, we have more freedom to kind of associate with different individuals if we want to, um, you know, in high school, you're kind of stuck with those people. But Once you graduate from that level, I think we do have a a greater level of freedom to break those those, um, you know, relationships that are unhealthy and surround ourselves with people who are going to lift us up and help us. And we can you know, it it looks maybe uncool to some people, but we have to look in the right places, you know, looking in church communities or in in like groups. Maybe you're, you're struggling with drug addiction or. Um, Other sorts of addiction, like 12-step groups are really great places to find people who are trying to to be better and to grow in their lives. Um, But also just like, you know, Catholic young adult groups (laughs) like CCYA. Um, A great place to find people who are, are trying to strive for virtue and be a good influence on you and to find genuine, true friends who are going to lift you up instead of tear you down. So... Excellent point on that, Patrick. Andrew, did you have any final thoughts before we close out?
1: I did. Thank you. <laughs> um, I think you just provided a lot of great anecdotal evidence, but it's actually backed by a lot of social psychology of social normative influence. And in you are your social circles. Just remember that uh, if you take anything away. Um, but I think what I wanted to go back to is The fact that we seek out these things in media um, I'm right there with you I seek out media every day because um, it's it's a good there's a good in there that we're searching for which is connectedness to other people Um, I think that's the main thing that we're searching for in that in a sense of purpose that is underlying that Um, and so I I don't think being hard on yourself in these situations is always the best thing because you have to also acknowledge that there is a desire that is coming from, um, that is like rooted, is creating that motivation within you. And I think that also goes back to how you have to um, acknowledge the fact that you have those desires instead of stifling them um, in the way that media so often does. And it's also these stories that we're seeking because when we watch a Netflix show, when we follow anyone on social media, we're seeking to understand their story and we're also hoping to become a part of a greater story. And I think um, for me recently, I think I struggle most with understanding where my place is in the story. Uh, of the universe of God's story for my life um, because providence so often doesn't make sense to us when we try to line everything up. Um, but something I've been reading recently really acquainted me with the fact that the present moment is the only place where we can find God's providence and each and every moment is speaking to us and it's a conversation, it's a communication from our Creator and I That's really the biggest thing I have to hit on is that's the only thing that helps me to understand that I am a part of a greater story.
0: I think that's beautifully said, Andrea. You know, when in doubt, really the best thing we can do is to turn to the Lord Jesus and to accept his grace for us. And, you know, he's going to put people in our lives that are good for us, but ultimately he is the greatest good. And drawing close to Him in prayer is is going to be the thing that satisfies our hearts most deeply and fully. I just want to thank Andrea and Patrick for joining us on our podcast today. It was kind of a spur of the moment decision. I know it's been a long time since we had our first episode, and uh, I you know I'm hoping to to pump out some new ones um, in the not too far off future, the not too distant future. So, um, yeah, thanks so much for tuning in, guys. I hope you're having a super blessed week and year so far as we approach the new year. Uh, let's try to make those new habits, those those new friendships that are going to lift us up. And if we feel tempted to take that phone out or, or turn to that unhealthy coping mechanism with streaming or media, let's do something else instead. Let's offer up a prayer. Let's take a deep breath or a minute of deep breaths. Let's text a a good, solid friend, or or let's open a book, you know, or let's do some exercise. Do something that's actually going to be productive for us and and helpful and put us in the right direction. Uh, I'm Nick, your host. This is DF Doves. We are down for whatever, and we're open to God's will, trying to make the world a much, much better place. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, thank you.